Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is January the 18th, 2024. It's been 3,644 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 329 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened yesterday. During the podcast, you can use a Russia-Ukraine war map to help you visualize the areas discussed, and there is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. There are some changes from yesterday. 1. Due to the shootdown of a Russian A-50U AWACS aircraft and numerous reconnaissance flights by Russian drones, we maintain there continues to be an increased risk of a so-called punitive missile strike against Ukraine targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure in the immediate future. 2. We maintain it is unlikely that the United States will provide additional military or financial aid to Ukraine in 2024. 3. The continued impasse in the United States Congress to provide additional military aid to Ukraine and the passive response to Russian kinetic and hybrid aggression is contributing to Russia's expanding access with North Korea and Iran and global hybrid warfare. 4. We maintain the armed forces of Ukraine are facing critical ammunition shortages that are directly impacting the ability to maintain existing defensive lines. 5. We maintain that Ukrainian forces no longer have the combat potential to engage in any offensive operations, and Russian troops are capable of additional tactical success and achieving limited operational goals. 6. The reduction in Ukrainian combat potential is a direct result of blocked aid from the United States and the European Union. 7. Russian forces have established an operational objective to capture Chasivyar west of Bakhmut. 8. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the Avdiivka salient regardless of the cost, and are maintaining a force of at least 40,000 troops. 9. We maintain that combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st-century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue through meteorological winter, which ends on February the 29th. 10. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously. We are very troubled by the latest report from the International Atomic Energy Agency and the lack of international attention. We begin in Kharkiv and Luhansk. 
In the Kupinsk area of operation, or AO, in Kharkiv region, Russian forces stormed Ukrainian defensive positions near Sinkivka six times, without success. Russian mercenary mail blogger War Gonzo reported that Russian troops continued their attempts to advance southwest of Pershatravneva. Northwest of Kremenna in Luhansk oblast, Russian forces continued offensive operations east of Makiivka, where the operational tempo remains high. There has been no change in the situation. A geolocated video of Russian forces attacking Ukrainian positions showed that Ukrainian troops made marginal gains east of Terny, near the Luhansk-Donetsk oblast administrative border. A Russian attack east of Yampolivka was repulsed. Russian sources reported that positional fighting continued south of Dubrova. In the Lysychanskoyo, Russian forces made marginal gains in the area of the pumping station southeast of Bilohorivka. Next, let's talk about the Donbass. In the Siversko, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or Armod, reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive near Bilohorivka, that is, the one in Donetsk oblast. In the Bakhmutyo, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported a Russian attack in the direction of Hrugorivka was repulsed. Armod reported fighting continued near Bogdanivka, and Russian mercenary mail blogger War Gonzo reported fighting continued near Chromova. Fighting also continued east of Ivanivska, with no change in the situation. In the Klishivka AO, Russian forces continued their attacks northwest of Klishivka with no success. Fighting also continued east of Andreevka. In the Toretsk New York AO, Armod claimed fighting continued on the northwestern edge of Horlivka. Ukrainian forces continued to hold their defensive lines in southwest Donetsk. Russian forces have increased the number of attacks in the Avdivka AO, but with fewer supporting resources. Russian troops attacked Ukrainian positions east of Novokalinova, southeast of Novobakhmutivka, and east of Stepove without success. After the failed January the 16th attacks, Russian troops returned to positional fighting northeast of the Avdivka coke plant and in the area of the Terekon. On the eastern edge of Avdivka, fighting restarted in the industrial district, with no change in the situation. On the southern flank, there was only positional fighting in the no-man's land between Vodyane and Severne and east of Pervomaiske and Nevelske. In the Marinka AO, Russian forces continued their attacks near Krasnohorivka on the edges of Marinka and east of Georgievka without success. In the Vogledar AO, Russian forces attacked Novomikhailivka from the south and the east and advanced southwest of the settlement. Russian forces also made marginal gains west of Solotka in the direction of Vodyane. Finally, in the Staromlinivka AO, GSFU reported positional fighting was ongoing north of Novodonetska. Next up, the Kherson AO. Fighting continued in the forest south of Krynke, with Ukrainian forces repelling six Russian attacks. Russian mill blogger Romanov Light amplified a claim by the Russian 810th Naval Infantry that the Russian flag had been raised in the center of the village. No proof was provided. Ukrainian sources dismissed the claim, and even Russian mill bloggers Rebarian to Majors were skeptical. While the 810th declared great victory on social media, other Russian soldiers continued to complain about a lack of coordination between drones and artillery units, unanswered requests for artillery support, 
and the lack of electronic warfare systems to interfere with Ukrainian communications and drones. They also reported that Russian commanders were forging documents to hide the number of wounded and falsely reporting that Russian soldiers were killed in other areas of operation. Our analysts reviewed and geolocated a video of Russian troops on one of the islands in the Dnipro river being attacked by drone-deliver IEDs. Two of the wounded Russian soldiers committed suicide. Due to the graphic nature of the video, we have elected not to publish the content. I want to pause for a moment. Suicide is a sensitive topic, and its discussion can trigger deep and disturbing feelings. If you are having suicidal thoughts or you are despondent, there is help available. In the United States, you can call 988 or 800-273-8255, or you can text 741-741. Veterans can text 838-255. In Canada, you can call 833-456-4566. In the United Kingdom, you can call 0800-689-5652 or 999. In Ireland, you can call free phone 116123, that's Ireland and Northern Ireland, or text 50808 in Ireland only. In Australia, you can call 131114 or 000, or text 047713114. In New Zealand, you can call 0508 828 865 or 111. And in Ukraine, you can call 7333. In the city of Kherson, Russian forces continue targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure in the Dnipro district, killing one and wounding another. A boiler house was damaged, knocking out heat to 15 apartment buildings. Borislav was also shelled, wounding two pensioners and a 54-year-old. There was an increase in activity in the Black Sea, occupied Crimea, Mykolaiv and Odessa. The Russian Black Sea fleet has five vessels on patrol, including two missile carriers capable of launching up to 16-caliber cruise missiles. Due to increased Russian surveillance drone activity in Kherson, Mykolaiv, Odessa and Zaporizhia oblasts in the last 24 hours, in our assessment, the risk of a Russian missile attack is high. In occupied Crimea, smoke screens were created in Sevastopol and Feodosia, and the Crimean and Chongar bridges were closed twice. The illegitimate governor of occupied Zaporizhia and traitor Vladimir Rogov claimed that two Storm Shadow cruise missiles targeted the Chongar bridge and were shot down. Russia launched a P-800 Onyx supersonic anti-ship missile at Odessa, which struck near empty cattle barns and hay stalls. It is the first P-800 launched in almost five months. Here is the update for the Russian front. In the Bryansk region, Armut claimed that Ukrainian .u short-range ballistic missiles were intercepted. It's an unusual claim, as Ukraine doesn't have any .u missiles, nor the ability to build them. Also in Bryansk, a Russian Mi-8 helicopter made an emergency landing on the M3 highway near Sevsk, striking high-voltage power lines. The helicopter was heavily damaged. Power was knocked out to the Sevsk, Suzenka, Brasova and Kamarichi districts. 
In Rostov, the Shakhty Polymer's plan violently exploded, wounding nine. It's unclear what caused the blast that heavily damaged the factory, which opened less than a year ago. Armut claimed Ukrainian drones were shot down in St. Petersburg and Moscow. Residents of St. Petersburg reported windows were broken by the concussion of air defense missiles. Partisans launched a coordinated attack on Russia's railroad system, destroying relay boxes and signal equipment in the Saratov, Yaroslavl, Nizhny Novgorod and Moscow regions. Rail service in parts of Moscow was reportedly disrupted. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Let's talk about theater-wide events. On January 17th and 18th, Russia launched 33 Shahid-136 one-way drones at Ukraine, with 22 shot down by air defenses and, quote, a few more, disrupted by electronic warfare. Air defenses also intercepted one KH-59 air-to-surface guided missile near Dnipro. During the Shahid-136 attacks on January 16th and 17th, Ukraine used its Franken-SAM air defense systems for the first time, based on post-Soviet book air defense launches and NATO-provided air defense missiles. A Shahid was intercepted at a range of 9 kilometers. The deputy commander of the main defense intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or UR, General Vadim Skibitsky said that Russia had updated its KH-101 cruise missiles. Quote, the KH-101 cruise missiles are entirely different from those used in 2022. This missile is equipped with an active radio-electronic warfare system, active heat trap protection, etc. Chinese state media-controlled publication Ordnance Industry Science and Technology wrote an article about the success of the United States Patriot air defense system. Discussing the effectiveness of the KH-47 missile, the article stated, quote, More and more evidence is emerging that the statements of the United States and Ukraine on this issue are true, unquote. Adding that despite Moscow's claims, the Kinjal frequently misses its targets and isn't changing the situation on the battlefield. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Iran, Hossein Amir Abdullahin, decided it was amateur comedy night in Tehran when he declared, quote, Ukraine has not provided Iran with any evidence that Russia uses Iranian weapons during the special operation, unquote. In today's situation report, we've linked to a picture of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky standing next to the remains of a shot-down Iranian Shahed-136 one-way drone. You can access it through the podcast description or by visiting our Patreon. The deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, Dmitry Medvedev, declared that Russia would be in a forever war with Ukraine, just 24 hours after Russian President Vladimir Putin claimed he wanted peace. Quote, there is a 100% chance of a new conflict, no matter what security papers the West signs with the puppet regime in Kyiv. It will not be stopped by Ukraine's association with the European Union or even by this artificial country's accession to NATO. This may happen in 10 or 50 years. 
unquote. Ukraine released a video showing the flight testing of a turbine-powered one-way drone. The system has not been named publicly, and no specifications were provided. In Brussels, Belgium, the first meeting of the NATO-Ukraine Council in its regular format was held today. The situation on the battlefield and the issue of air defense systems was discussed. The Parliament of Slovakia gave the Ministry of Defense control over the export of weapons. Previously, the Ministry of Economy handled the licensing of arms experts with the approval of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the SIS Intelligence Service. This is seen as a win for Ukraine, with President Robert Fico pivoting to support arms experts to Kyiv. There were also numerous reports that the Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, has ended his resistance to the EU, providing Ukraine with 50 billion euros of aid over the next four years. Final approval is expected within weeks. Germany announced another military aid package for Ukraine. We provide the full list of the package in our situation report. The link is in the podcast description. The Minister of Foreign Affairs of Sweden, Tobias Bilström, said that the question of providing Saab just 39 Gripen multi-role fighter aircraft to Ukraine had not been ruled out, but any decision is tied to Sweden's accession to the NATO alliance. The Foreign Minister of Poland, Radoslav Sikorski, said that the Tusk administration was looking at how to provide more military aid to Ukraine while balancing national security and called for fairness from the EU. Quote, Poland shouldn't be the country that bears the brunt of most of the cost of solidarity with Ukraine on behalf of all the European Union. The cost is inevitable, we accept it, but it should be borne more fairly. Unquote. The German Bundestag rejected a motion to send Taurus cruise missiles to Ukraine in a symbolic vote. The measure failed 485 to 178 along party lines, with three abstaining. The Christian Democratic Union of Germany and the Christian Social Union in Bavaria have pushed for sending Taurus missiles to Ukraine for a year. Even if the vote had passed, it wouldn't have been binding for the 55% of our listeners outside of North America. The United States is 48 hours away from a partial government shutdown, with both the House and the Senate scrambling to break the impasse. A growing chorus of Republican senators and moderate congresspersons are advising Speaker of the House Mike Johnson to accept the current U.S. border security deal negotiated in the Senate. Support for the current compromise has been expressed by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator John Thune and Senator James Langford. Johnson is under extreme pressure from the far-right Nationalist Freedom Caucus to not only reject any border security deal and aid for Ukraine, but to allow funding for the U.S. government to lapse. Last week, Congressman Chip Roy of Texas said that a motion to vacate Speaker Johnson was, quote, on the table if he made any deal. President Vladimir Impalia Putin continues his purge of political enemies. The secret criminal case for our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, little green man, failed Mobik, and special guest of the Lefortova prison in Moscow, Igor Strelkov-Girkin, is over. The first minister of defense of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic was charged with discrediting the Russian Federation armed forces due to a May 2022 social media post. 
the verdict and sentencing, which will be public, is currently scheduled for January the 19th. Despite frigid weather and multiple arrests of activists on Tuesday, up to 10,000 protesters turned out in Baymak, the Republic of Bashkortostan, to support Fail Alsinov. Alsinov was convicted of inciting hatred or enmity and sentenced to four years in prison. Protesters were attempting to block his transfer from the courthouse. The Ministry of Internal Affairs, Rosgvardia Omon, and the Federal Security Service of Russia struggled to control the crowd, which threw snowballs and ice and pushed back on shield-wielding police. Russian security forces responded with riot batons and tear gas in an attempt to disrupt the crowd. Several people were injured, and after negotiating with protesters, security forces withdrew under a hail of snowballs, ice chunks and jeers. We have a news story with more information on our website wbhgnews.com and Google News. A link is in the podcast description. Currently, criminal cases have been opened up against six people for violating the established procedures for holding a rally. Five were sentenced to 10 days in jail and one for 13 days. The holds are administrative, with government officials considering charging the six with organizing a riot. After Wednesday's melee, Bashkortostan officials are reportedly ready to charge dozens with mass rioting, violence against government officials, and public insults to government officials. The charges could result in up to 26 years in prison. Unrelated to the protests, the head of the Republic of Bashkortostan for Social Communications, Yelena Prachakovskaya, was arrested and charged with fraud of a particularly large scale. Russian Orthodox Church priest Sergei Gavarun, also known as Akimandrit Kirill, was defrocked for co-authoring a declaration that teaching that it's a Russian world is a false ideal out of alignment with the Church. Russian journalist Maria Baronova was administratively convicted for violation of Russia's so-called Don't Say War laws and sentenced to 40 hours of community labor and fined 50,000 rubles. Denunciations were filed against the president of the interregional Uzbek community, Osman Barato, who is accused of discrediting the armed forces of the Russian Federation. The Investigative Committee of Russia for Moscow has opened a criminal investigation. A Moscow court overturned an earlier decision to release Tajikistan blogger Salmon Jumaboya on personal recognizance as he awaits a trial for extremism. Jumaboya bragged on social media about his sexual conquests and declared, soon all Russian girls will be ours. The Moscow Appeals Court decided that Jumaboya was a flight risk and he may be moved to pre-detention. Gonzalo Lira supporters were very quiet on social media. In our war crimes and human rights section, we sometimes share graphic details of torture, human suffering and other atrocities. Today's update does not have any graphic details. Radio Svoboda journalist Dmitro Yevchen came under artillery fire in Robotina, Zaporizhia, and was severely injured. He was transferred to hospital where shrapnel was removed from his leg and his condition was stabilized. Sham trials in the so-called Donetsk People's Republic continued for Azovstal defenders, who have been prisoners of war for over 18 months. Alexander Kuzmenko was sentenced to 25 years in a strict regime penal colony on false charges, essentially a death sentence. 
Oleksiy Mozhovey was sentenced to life in prison. The International Committee of the Red Cross, which brokered the May 12, 2022 surrender in Mariupol of up to 2,100 Ukrainian soldiers, has been silent as the trials have continued. Finally, let's talk about geopolitics and economics. Despite reaching an agreement with the Romanian government, Romania farmers have not lifted their blockade of two border crossings with Ukraine. The State Border Service of Ukraine reported that all border crossings with Poland were open without restrictions, and one-third of the backlog was cleared in the last 24 hours. A report by the United States publication Politico that the Chinese delegation at the World Economic Summit in Davos, Switzerland, refused to visit with President Zelensky, was refuted by Kyiv. There was no planned meeting between Zelensky and the Chinese delegation. Banks in Turkey and China have expanded their refusal to work with Russian banks after new international sanctions were implemented in December. Banking regulations tightened in the summer of 2023, but since the start of 2024, the two largest banks in China and almost all Turkish banks have broken off processing credit transactions. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.